You are now listening to What the Hell, a podcast dedicated to helping you navigate your way to better health. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 44 of What the Health. I'm your host, Lena Lahire, and today I have special guest, Dr. Victoria Gowdy, aka Dr. Tori, joining me. Dr. Tori is a naturopathic physician committed to helping her clients transform their health and life from dis-ease and suffering to a life of beauty and ecstasy. She graduated from Bastyr University and practices in Shoreline, Washington, and through telemedicine. As a healer, her views are radically different as she knows the patient holds the power to their healing. She helps her patients get to the root cause of their suffering through self-discovery, education, and empowerment. So rather than symptom management through pharmaceuticals or natural remedies, you get access to sustainable health transformation. She uses her wide range of unique skills and training in traditional medicine, hands-on bodywork, and science-based medicine to create an individualized care plan care plan for optimal success. When Dr. Tori is not helping her patients take their healing to the next level, you can find her getting mushed through the woods on various contraptions by her husky Kaizen with her fiance, Joel. She particularly loves exploring where there are waterfalls and hot springs. When not in the woods, you can find her baking delicious food intolerance-free treats, making herbal medicines, hitting the gym, practicing yoga, reading, boogieing down at festivals, or letting her heart shine on the dance floor. Her areas of expertise include getting to the root cause of your suffering, mental health, depression, anxiety, food intolerances and sensitivities, digestive issues, skin issues, mold illness, and manual body work. I am thrilled to have her on the show today. Welcome, Dr. Tori. Hi, Lena. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here and excited uh, to discover what we talk about today. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. So let's start the episode by giving our listeners a little bit of your background, how you got into naturopathic medicine and just about you generally. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in Ohio in a small town and my dad is a medical doctor, so I grew up very much in the medical, com- conventional medical field, um, having minor issues growing up with my own health and then progressing into more serious issues that never seemed to be addressed um, from constipation and then into mental health issues as I grew up. There just didn't seem to be a good option for conventional medicine on how to address that. Mm-hmm. And I just always felt that there was another way to help people heal. Seeing the health of the people in my small town where they'd get an issue and then they'd be given a pharmaceutical and then another issue would come up. So they'd be giving another pharmaceutical. It just seemed really unsustainable to me. And so when I went to college, I knew I wanted to go into medicine, most likely probably because I wanted to follow in the footsteps of my dad. Um, and so I majored in chemistry, which was sort of like a, the pre-med at the division two school that I went to that didn't have pre-med. So I, I majored in chemistry so I could get all my prereqs. Um, and through stepping out of my hometown, stepping into the bigger world of college, I started opening my eyes to what other possibilities were and sort of 
seeing how the world worked. And I wrote my senior thesis in college about wholesome healthcare for a resource-based society. And it was all about why our current healthcare system does not work because it's a business and its main goal is to monetize. And so that kind of had me thinking of alternative uh, medicines to begin with. I, when I graduated college, I actually had no idea that naturopathic medicine existed. And so I actually took a year off, bartended and waitressed. And um, about coming to the end of that first year, I kind of got a push that was like, you know, you got to start applying or doing something. Otherwise, this one year is going to turn into two years and three years. And so I started applying. I had taken my MCAT and I started applying to medical schools. And it wasn't actually until I started that application process that I realized that naturopathic medical school existed which was a whole eye-opening experience coming to Bastyr's website and being like, oh my gosh, this philosophy, that is exactly how I feel like healthcare should work and how healing works. And that sort of started my journey. I found Bastyr. I basically applied on the spot, um, went out for an interview, got accepted and moved out to Washington for my education out here at Bastyr. Wonderful. And how long was, um, was that degree? Uh, it's normally a four-year degree. I took five years because I was studying. I was going back and forth to Germany to study a type of body work at the time while I was in the schooling. So I did it in five, which uh, I would actually advocate people to do if they have the choice. Um, I, I left school with a little bit more gratitude and less burnout than some of my colleagues that went on the four-year four-year plan. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of information. It's a fire hose of information coming at you. So I'm pretty grateful. I, I had five years to do it. Yeah. The burnout is real for. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny because it's probably the most unnaturopathic thing I've ever done. <laughs> really? <laughs> it's just so much schooling. I mean, it's yeah. for a short period of time, right? So we're resilient creatures. Like we can, we can come back from that. And I'd argue that I already have. Um, but it takes a lot of late nights, early mornings, lack of sleep, cramming information. Um, yeah. So that's what I mean by unnaturopathic, but yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So in clinic, what are some of the, you know, chief complaints that you're seeing that your patients come to you with? Yeah. So I do a lot of mental health, a lot of digestive issues, skin issues, joint issues, it's not so much a condition that I specialize in, although I do see a theme of those things like the mental health and the gut health issues, mm-hmm. um, but it's more so the type of person that I see a lot of in my practice. Um, and it's really the type of person that understands or wants to understand the connection between the mind and body mm. and that dis-ease and suffering all starts in the mental field and then it manifests into the physical field. And so the people that I work with are, they understand that they want to understand that more, they get that. um, And they want to work on that self-discovery of understanding who they are so they can find where they, um, I call it incongruencies with their true self, right? When, when they're incongruent with their soul's journey or their true self or spirit or soul or the universe or God, or however your beliefs lend you in this lifetime, when we become out of alignment with that, our frequency opens up to dis-ease and suffering. Mm, mm. So 
through self-discovery, basically I like to call it subconscious hacking because we get to dive through the subconscious to see what beliefs have we identified about ourselves and stored about ourselves that is now our operating system that we're unaware of. Sort of that autopilot that we don't under, we don't notice that it's there. It's just running in the background, but causing a lot of suffering for us. And what, what is the basis for that suffering? Is it because it causes like this chronic low level of stress? Can you go into that a little bit more? Yeah, I think that on a soul's level, I think that that suffering, that disease and those symptoms are there to point us in the direction of our soul. Like when we're at it, like it's our soul's yearning to live a congruent life. Right. And part of being here on earth is rediscovering who we are, right? It's rediscovering that soul. It's that rediscovering that I am as Dr. Moshi, the, uh, he developed holistic counseling, which is a, a method that I'm getting trained in and use in my practice to help people discover what's going on in their subconscious. Mm-hmm. And right? This, the relearning is coming back to our I am, our soul. It's because we are unconditionally always okay, mm. right? On a soul level. And so when we start putting stipulations on that, right? Like, I'll be happier once I'm making six figures, or I'll love myself once I'm in a size six, or I, uh, I'm just not happy until I find a partner in life. Mm-hmm. When we start sticking those stipulations to our unconditional I am, it welcomes in dis-ease, right? Because, and I I call those symptoms our North Stars because they're simply there to direct us back to our soul, right? Mm -hmm. And so then it takes into example, like what we're doing conventional medicine, right? When we just suppress the symptoms or even in naturopathic medicine, right? Sometimes we can use natural therapies to suppress symptoms, and the same thing if with conventional, if we're using those substances to suppress the symptoms, we're denying our soul that evolution. Now there's a caveat, right? Sometimes, and I do it in practice too, sometimes we want to take away that suffering for various reasons, yeah. right? But I'm always very clear with my clients and patients that that's what we're doing in that moment, mm-hmm. right? This is not a fix. This is a Band-Aid. Right. So if we don't actually address what's festering underneath the Band-Aid, it'll never heal. Like supplements can only go so far. Pills can only go so far. If we don't get down to the root, which is usually emotional, psychological, whatever. Exactly. None of it will matter. Exactly. And I think a analogy that illustrates this brilliantly, Dr. Moshi talks about it in his book, Holistic Counseling, which I highly recommend people read. Mm-hmm. I have my my patients and clients read it before we even start holistic counseling and, and oh, wonderful. My, in practice. He uses the analogy of a waterfall that is encapsulates this beautifully. If you think of the source of the waterfall is as spirit or or God, right? And as you go down the waterfall, then you get into lower frequencies, higher density. Spirit being the highest frequency, lowest density, right? We can't see it or touch it or some people can, but for the most part, we don't see it or touch it. And then as we go down the waterfall, we go into the mental, emotional, and physical fields. The emotion, the mental field is closest to spirit. It has the higher frequency, lower density. And as you move down that waterfall, you get into 
lower frequency, higher density until you're in the physical field where we have this illusion of seeing and touching, mm. right? If all we're doing is addressing the physical field, which sometimes is important, right? If, but if all we're doing is addressing the physical field, it's like sitting at the bottom of that waterfall and tossing water up the bottom, right? When in reality, the source of what's blocking that water or the, the spirit, the source of life through our, into our mental, emotional, and physical bodies. In this analogy, it's like having a boulder in that mental field, right? When we have a thought or belief about ourselves or the world that is incongruent with who we are, with spirit. It's like having a boulder in that mental field. That boulder then blocks the flow of that water into the emotional and physical field. As humans, we're very resilient. When we initially block that flow of vitality, our body compensates by shuffling vitality other places until eventually it cannot compensate anymore. And we start having symptoms emotionally or physically. I don't feel good. I don't feel right. This doesn't feel right. And to the point where things then aren't working properly. Mm. Now, why it's always important to work in a mental field is because if we only work in that physical field, we're like taking water at the bottom of the, the waterfall and splashing it up, right? Sure, it, it fills that physical field with water the second we take away that natural substance or that pharmaceutical or whatever it is, then we're no longer having water into that physical field, mm. right? Whereas if we actually remove that boulder upstream, then that flow of vitality emanates into the emotional and physical fields. And we don't have to be standing at the bottom of the waterfall, throwing water up. The water then comes from source and emanates into those fields. That's a perfect depiction. Actually. Right? I, yeah. He's I brilliant. Yeah. It's absolutely great. <laughs> love that. Uh, and that's some heavy stuff. Like, you know, people, you know, either don't have the tools or don't believe they have the tools, don't have access believe they have access to the tools mm -hmm. um why do you think if someone comes to you and and, and is kind of like yeah that's all well and good but that's woo woo there's there's no scientific evidence to back that up like how do you respond to that I've never gotten that response and we probably wouldn't have made it that far in the discussion if that's their if that's their viewpoint but my sort of my sort of thought to that is sometimes it's like just leading someone through a really simple exercise, right? Where you have them think about an instance in like the best moment in their life, right? Because then someone's got, can think of like a really great moment in their life, right? And you let them sit with that for a minute and then you ask them how their physiology is, mm -hmm. right? And no one will be able to deny that their physiology has changed, mm -hmm. right? And so on a, that's on a really, really tiny scale, right? Just what we're thinking can change how our physical body reacts, yeah. right? If we start thinking of, or like someone gets scared or anxious about something, right? It's really common for a heart rate to increase and start getting sweaty, right? How did that happen? It was because their thoughts created that fear or whatever it was that created then the physiological response. Mm -hmm. Our body's always responding to our mind. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is we have a sort of behind the scenes operating that a lot of people forget about. That's our subconscious, right? We're no longer consciously aware of our subconscious, but that's running in the background. Then it's basically like having thoughts all the time right. that are creating our physical reality, mm. it's creating mm. our body physiology 
And then on a, on a deeper level, if we think about how we interact with the universe, then right? it's not just changing our physiology, but it's then changing the energy that we're putting out in the world, mm. right? It's actually changing what we're manifesting in the physical world, not, not our physical being, but our physical world. Mm. That stuff starts getting really trippy and cool <laughs> to think about, right? But that we're influencing what we're creating in our physical world as well, not just in our physical being. So people that, that don't understand that or don't believe that, I think giving them a little example like that can be profound because then they're like oh if that happens on that scale why can't it be happening on a bigger scale mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know you think about all of these different conditions symptoms um, that people have and you know that like you said that that really is just the symptom but like what is causing that mm-hmm. um, I used to work in the fitness industry I have some certificates in nutrition and my personal training education. And I realized really quickly that my clients were not getting the results that they wanted, or they'd be very short lived because it was, it was the psychology behind everything. It was so much deeper, which is why I'm back in university studying to become a psychologist now. Yeah. cool. But uh, yeah, like I'm, I'm so with you. I'm so with you on that. Let's talk a little bit about gut health. Cause I think this is a perfect segue into gut health. Um, maybe you want to tell our listeners why that would be a good segue into gut health when we yeah. talk about like our emotions and everything. Yeah. Or our gut is, our gut loves to, uh, <laughs> be an exact replication of our internal processes, right? A lot of people will feel in their gut, like, right. That gut feeling is, mm-hmm. is one explanation of this. And then you, a lot of people, right. What happens when people get anxious? All right, their stomach gets uneasy, they get butterflies in their stomach, their stomach starts to come up, right? Some people will have really loose stools, they're mm-hmm. just running through. Mm-hmm. Um, our digestive system re- responds very, I, I want to say very immediately to our mental processes. It's one of those, it's really clear to see those associations. Mm. Um, and Gut health is also really, really cool and something that I focus on because of how it's largely at the root cause of a lot of physical symptoms, right? If we start on the physical plane disrupting our digestive system, we start then disrupting our overall system. Mm-hmm. And as we're coming to learn in recent research, or not so recent research anymore, but the gut brain connection, yeah. right? What's going on in the gut influences our mood and vice versa, Mm. right? And how many nerve endings we have in our gut, how our gut secretes most of the serotonin, Mm. it's it's largely associated with our mood. And so Mm. what's going on in our gut is gonna also determine how smooth things are going upstream as well. Yeah, 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 totally. I've had a lot of gut issues. I noticed that my mood is totally off on a bad gut day. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that what's going on when what mechanisms are in place that is allowing that to happen say more what do you mean mechanisms in place uh when we're having a lot of digestive issues what are the mechanisms in how it's affecting our brain oh yeah well we think about the there's i guess that conversation is basically endless but if you think about 
your brain needing food and nutrients, right? And then where is it getting that? It's getting it from our gut. Mm. And then so what about how is the foods that we're eating, the quality of the foods that we're consuming, right? Before it even enters our mouth, how is that going? Is it actual vital rich foods or is it a bunch of processed foods with a ton of ingredients that your body's going to be really confused when it meets it? Mm. And then so the quality of food matters and you eat the food and then you have to digest the food, right? And so how able is your digestive system to actually digest that food so that you can then absorb the nutrients and assimilate the nutrients to the tissues that need it, right? Mm. Part of that being your brain. Mm. We see a huge correlation between gut health and brain health because if our gut is not digesting the foods well, how is it going to transport it to the brain? Furthermore, all the bacteria in our gut, we, we sequester and nourish healthy bacteria with, with healthy, vital foods, right? When I say healthy foods, I mean like, like whole foods, whole foods that are grown in the ground and we can read the ingredients and understand the ingredients. When we eat foods like that, we are able to better nourish the brain. Then we're also better able to nourish the bacteria in our gut, mm. right? And so when we better nourish the bacteria in our gut, they love us more and they give us more of those happy hormones, <laughs> Yeah. Right. And go to work for us better at digesting our food and absorbing our food. Mm. Um, so that it's, it's really not interchangeable. But I, and I also argue, though, that there is no part that's interchangeable. Right. Mm. We've been studying we as in humans have been studying that gut brain connection. But when we look at a systems based model, I'd argue you can't systemize all of it. Right. There's no individual systems. We are all connected. So even our digestive system is going to affect our nervous system, which is going mm-hmm. to affect our cardiovascular system, which is going to affect our respiratory system, right? We can't necessarily tease out um, systems of the body because we're so interconnected. Mm. And this is what modern medicine essentially does. It, it tries to isolate certain things and you might, you might fix one problem, mm-hmm. but then all of these other problems start to come up. It's like a, like a vitamin deficiency, right? You, you have this one vitamin deficiency and all of these systems are affected mm-hmm. and then you heal that vitamin deficiency and all of a sudden all these systems are healed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it begs the question, what, why was that person deficient in the vitamin mm. in the first place? And it's like, that's what functional medicine has really been doing a great job of, right? System-based medicine. Mm. When we tease it apart, which can do really great things, right? It can work wonders, but there's a cap on it. Mm. Right. Sure. Like you were saying, you can get healing, but is it, it's not sustainable healing. Right. Right. Because if it's not actually addressing the root cause on the mental field, mm-hmm. it's not going to be sustainable. Or like you said, why did you have that vitamin deficiency? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are there other gut issues going on? What are some of the biggest gut health issues that you see in with your patients? Yeah. So I see, I guess, a whole slew of different manifestations of gut issues between IBS, Crohn's, um, irritable bowel, um, reflux, Mm. just like gas and bloating, not feeling right, inconsistent stools, constipation. I kind of see a whole gambit of issues. Um, I think the, the biggest thing, so working on the mental field is important, but I also emphasize we do optimize the physical plane, right? Like you can't just get, be living in accordance with, with your soul's journey, but 
never eat any food. Right. Well, now we're going into like yogi, really, really (laughs) awakened. But in a general sense, right, we there are things on the physical plane that nourish health and there's things on the physical plane that that do not nourish health. Right. Mm -hmm. By obeying the natural laws of the universe, we physically do better than disobeying those natural laws. Right. right? By not moving our bodies, by not sleeping at all, by not eating whole foods. Right. Those are going to have deleterious effects regardless of what the internal processes use processes is and so part of optimizing that physical plane is i always do what is called a carol food intolerance with all my clients and patients and now why i do carol food intolerance over something like a igg food sensitivity is because it works so much better (laughs) it's a long story short why it works so much better is getting into the science of a little bit of it When we look at food sensitivities, right? You go to a natural doctor or a functional med and they say, we wanna look at the foods you're sensitive to. We're gonna run a food sensitivity panel. Like a blood work test. Yes, exactly. They'll draw blood and they're looking for foods that your body has made IgG antibodies against. So when you eat that food, your body has antibodies to it. So your body mounts a response to that food, which causes symptoms. That's the whole theory behind it. Okay. The issue here is that it's not addressing further downstream, closer to the root cause. So when the question is, how does someone develop an IgG food intolerance, right? Mm -hmm. It happens when we, the gap junctions in our digestive system, in our intestines go from tight to loose. Mm. often from inflammation Mm. what happens when they become loose is that large food particles prematurely make it through those gaps when those large food particles prematurely makes it through those gaps the body finds those in the bloodstream and says ah foreign material make antibodies to it get it out of here Mm. so the next time you eat that food your gut hasn't been healed more of that food leaks through the the gap junctions Your body sees it again and says, oh, we have antibodies to it. And your body has an immune response to that food, Mm. often causing some sort of reaction then. So you go get your blood drawn and they run this IgG panel to see what foods is your blood reacting to. And it comes back with often a whole slew of things. Right. They give it to you on a scale from green to red. How reactive is your body being to that food? Yeah. So then the person takes off, usually how doctors recommend is they'll take out those ones that landed in the red zone and take those out of their diet and then continue eating. Nine times out of 10, or actually probably more often than that, someone, if that's all they do, the the person doesn't get better, right? They continue to have symptoms, so then they go back to have another IgG panel thinking maybe they missed something and they react now to different foods because... They cut out those foods that their body had made antibodies to. They didn't heal that leaky gap junction. So they're eating different foods. So different food makes it through those, that leaky gut, basically. Body makes antibodies to those different foods. Now, now they're reacting to different foods and it becomes quite a bit of hamster on a wheel game. Yes, I am not. This is why I'm not a fan of the IgG food sensitivity panels. Oh, I'm so happy you're bringing this up right now. I'm 
really happy. Our, our listeners are going to get so much out of this. Just, just putting that out there. Good, good. I'm very happy to hear that. Um, and so why I do Carol food intolerance then rather than the IgG is because Carol food intolerance looks at what's participating and creating that inflammation in the gut in the first place. It's looking at the foods that someone cannot digest well, mm. period. Mm. It's not that their body is reacting to them. It's that when it gets into their gut, their body cannot digest them well. And so when their body cannot digest the food well, what happens when food doesn't digest and it just sits somewhere? It putrefies, Yeah. right? So it putrefies in the gut and it causes this big ball of inflammation. It disrupts the, the mucosal lining. It disrupts the bacteria. It disrupts the normal flow of the peristalsis and the movement of our digestive system. And then participates in creating that leaky gut. And then, right, inflammation in the gut means inflammation elsewhere. So then that inflammation then goes elsewhere in the body. And not only is the inflammation going elsewhere now in the body, but now because of that inflammation in the gut, we're not able to digest and absorb and assimilate all the other foods that we're eating that actually are good for us. Mm. So then it compromises basically everything. Yeah. Yeah. And right. what, what is this test? Like, is it a blood draw It's as an well? evaluation. Yeah. It's a traditional naturopathic evaluation. Okay. It's not a test. Um, and what it evaluates is it looks at a food that someone digest, doesn't digest well. What that often looks like is a food group and then a combination. Okay. So, so it's often commonly one of five. This is, this is the often. This is not a for sure, but it's often either dairy, potatoes, fruit, meat, and, or eggs. And then it's usually a combination. So for example, my food intolerance is dairy mm -hmm. with a fruit and sugar combination. Mm. So dairy, I avoid all the time, fruit and sugar. I can eat fruit and I can eat sugar. In this context, sugar means cane sugar and cane sugar derivative. I can eat sugar and I can eat fruit, but just not within a window of six hours of each other. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So this is also why I always advocate for Carol food intolerance as well, because the gold standard is the elimination diet. Right. Right. Now hearing that there's a main one, often some people have more than one main and then a combination, it gets really hard. And it gets really hard for someone to do an elimination diet and figure that out. Yeah. Right. Now you're looking at combinations and you're not exactly sure what the combination is. And like, it, it just gets to be such a headache to do an elimination diet, trying mm -hmm. to find combinations or even those primary ones. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a laborious process. Whereas having your Carol food intolerance evaluated, it can tell you right away what foods you're not digesting well. Right. I have not had a single patient, friend, or client that I've evaluated this for not get some good result. Oh, that's wonderful. That's really interesting. Potatoes are one of the big ones. Does that include so, yams or is it just? Yep. Yam, yep. sweet potatoes. Uh, for some people, it also includes uh, tapioca and arrowroot. Right. Uh, that depends on the person though. Yeah. Yeah. And what, like what's going on with potatoes that that would cause a reaction? So it's really interesting. <laughs> we don't know. Oh, okay. So this was a traditional naturopathic evaluation developed from, um, a gentleman who was working with Tesla and using some of that same technology. 
Mm -hmm. This is a long, 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 long time ago. And they developed this way to evaluate and then clinically found it so useful and potent that they continue to do it. We don't actually know. At this point, we have theories of like, okay, it's where someone like grew up, uh, their lineage basically. And so uh, it's really common for Northern European descent or people with a lot of Northern European descent to have fruit come up. It's the only people that I've really have seen fruit come up. And you're like, but fruit's good and healthy. Why can't these people eat? They're not supposed to eat any fruit. Like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you think about Northern Europe, there's actually only fruit that's up there are berries and it's only a couple months out of the year. Yeah. So why would they have developed the ability to digest fruit? Mm. That's a, that's a theory. We don't, we don't actually entirely know, which is, um, funny that I use the method because <laughs> if it wasn't so useful, I don't know if I would be able to hang my hat on it. Cause I'm like, I want to know, right. I'm a chemistry major. I come from a conventional medicine background. I want to know the exact mechanism of how and why, yes. um, and we have theories with this, but we don't exactly know. We just know that it works and it works so well. I wonder, I wonder if people who switch to a vegan diet, maybe because they just don't feel well, or they, they kind of like lose this taste for meat. I wonder if there's something inside their body that just isn't digesting meat well. And it's telling them that. Yeah. So two big areas I see that one is sometimes people with their meat intolerant, they start picking that up and that their bodies do not do well on meat. And so they, they, they cut it out. Um, sometimes I also see that coming up when someone's digestive stress is so high, when their digestive system is so stressed. Mm. And so they actually, excuse me, they start, they start secreting less hydrochloric acid. Mm-hmm. And so then those, some of those harder to digest foods actually become less appealing. So that's sometimes also the case when people lose, um, desire for meat sometimes it's actually related to digestive stress and low hydrochloric acid but Mm. sometimes they are under feeling and understanding that their body is not digesting it well and so they cut it out yeah now blanket statements of like vegan or carnivore i'm like it's so hard to go there because some people carnivore diet is so good for them like so good eat all that organ meat get it like get all those Mm -hmm. nutrients for some people who are intolerant to meat don't I do not recommend them eat those organ meats fish and fish organs are great but not land animals that's going to be more detrimental and inflammatory to their system than the benefit they're going to get from the nutrients from it right right so if someone does this it's not a test what you're saying it's more like an intake Um, it's evaluation so what we do is I take a little sample of someone's blood Mm -hmm. uh, usually just an ear prick and I'm looking, I'm evaluating it with something that basically amplifies the signal. And I'm looking for a change in signal when I introduce that food or food group to the circuit, basically with their, with their blood sample in it. Right. And so I'm looking for a change in signal at basically liver 25, I think is, don't quote me on that one, but at liver, it's one of the acupuncture points. I'm looking for a change in signal. Yeah. Um, and so then I can tell, depending on that signal, if that food is going to be good for someone or if their body is like, no, I can't, I don't want that. Yeah. And is it, is it like a forever thing if you do find an intolerance? It tends to be a forever thing. Yes. And so their primary and combo is more often than not 
uh, a forever thing. The only time it potentially changes is if someone has a blood transfusion. Interesting. Because now uh, sometimes it'll change to whose food intolerance they're, of their blood they're receiving. Um, That's crazy. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, other than that, I, I'm, we don't really see it changing. What I always tell people is I don't, I'm not a huge fan of the mentality of like restrict things from hum- from us forever, right? I think it's part of the human condition too, right? The second we start restricting something, someone's like, <laughs> I want that thing. Um, and so it is a forever intolerance, but I always tell people I want it to them to get to a point where it's a conscious decision on their part. Right. What that means is that they've cut out that food, whatever comes up on their, their food intolerance, they've cut that out for at least three weeks. And then they've eaten that food so that they know how they feel without it because everyone feels better. (laughs) And then they eat the food and they see how their body is reacting. And so they can actually see that their body is now like, oh, I don't want that. Mm -hmm. So then it becomes a conscious decision. Sometimes I'll eat a little fruit and sugar. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll be out somewhere where I eat a little bit of dairy, Mm -hmm. but I know that I'm eating it. And so I can turn inward and say, is this going to be nourishing for myself? Is this situation eating that thing more nourishing to eat it than it is to avoid it in this situation, right? Right. And then it becomes a conscious decision, right? Sometimes I get into situations where I'm like, oh no, right, not right now. My body, I don't want a little bit of extra burden right now. It's not worth it, mm-hmm. right? And then it's a conscious decision. Sometimes I get in that situation. I'm like, oh yeah, I can handle it. I, I, want, I would like to have a piece of cake or whatever it is. Right. Right. It's really interesting that um, wheat doesn't, you never mentioned wheat on those five things. No. So it was never one of the primaries. I often see it come up in it with another primary. My fiance, for example, he is also dairy intolerant. He also has a gluten, gluten intolerance. Right. Along with a fruit and sugar combination. Yeah. So it's not uncommon for people for gluten to come up. Um, it's just not usually one of the main five. Huh. That's and really interesting. That being said, there's also the the part of right, like wheat is not terrible. Mm-hmm. What we've done agriculturally to wheat has turned it terrible. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. We've ripped all of the nutrients out of it. We've left it with basically no nutrients. And then we kill it with herbicides and pesticides. And then it comes off and then we spray it with even more glyphosate to prevent molding process. Like we, we really have, <laughs> we've, we've really done a number to our agricultural practices here, especially wheat and mm. a lot of other things like corn. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's actually a more detrimental aspect of it than the wheat and gluten itself. Right. Right. We, didn't, we weren't seeing all these issues with wheat and gluten a few decades ago. Yeah. And do you, do you think glyphosate is one of the main culprits as to why we're seeing that? I do. Yeah. 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 I, I do. don't, I don't know how much we use it in Canada. Um, my husband and I were talking about this because you, you go to Europe and you hear a lot of people say, Oh, well, I digest it. They can handle it. Yeah. Just fine. A it's, you know, it's double zero and, mm-hmm. and they don't use glyphosate because they're not allowed to, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, it's prohibited. So, you know, the States and Canada, like we have a, we have a major issue on our hands here, don't we? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's quite, 
pompous of us to think we can play God and there won't be repercussions. In All right, so we're playing ways. God with our, yeah, with our food, like what we're doing now with this current situation. Yep. And we're creating more problems than we're finding solutions. Mm. That's what mm. we've done to our agricultural practices. Yeah. Right? Wheat's a great example. Like we tried to overproduce it, mass produce it on a scale where we weren't really thinking about the health of who it's feeding, but rather the money of the pockets it's lining. And we've basically ruined the nutrition value of it. Mm. Mm. So if someone does this food intolerance test, I keep calling it a test, you know what I mean? That's right, evaluation, yeah. Yeah, evaluation. Um, What are some other things they can do to start repairing the gap junctions that have become spread out? Are there different things that that they can do, whether it's psychologically, physically? what, What do you usually coach your patients with? Yeah, so it depends on the person. Uh, and sort of the general thinking is to one, get rid of the uh, offending factor. So get out that Carol food intolerance. Mm-hmm. If someone, for some reason, it can't be evaluated or um, for whatever reason, or someone's like, I just want to jump in right now, then I recommend that they cut out all of the intolerance. It's not easy by any means, yeah. uh, but it's effective to cut out the potato, dairy, meat, eggs, potato. And so you're basically eating vegetables um, and fish and beans then for protein, fish and beans for protein. Mm -hmm. Um, It's pretty plain (laughs) diet, right? Fruit means coconut oil, olive oil. So you're using more like sesame. I didn't even think of that. Um, So that's, that's one way. I think that getting your Carol food intolerance evaluated is the easiest. Um, and you can find practitioners that do that by going to the Carroll Institute and they list practitioners on there. So if you want to find someone local to yourself, that's a good way to do it. Um, other than that, it, encouraging people to reduce the amount of toxins that they're putting into their digestive system as much as possible. So eating organic as much as possible. If it's not possible, focusing on eating organic, the dirty dozen, the environmental mm-hmm. working group put out a list of the dirty dozen, clean 15, the dirty dozen are the the foods that have the highest level of herbicides and pesticides on them that they absorb them when they get sprayed. So those are, I would recommend, those are the top of the list for, for getting organic. Like your water-based fruits and vegetables more so than yeah. like bananas or squash yeah. or something. Yeah. And I don't remember, it is some of that. There's some weird ones on there too. I don't remember exactly what the lists are off the top of my head right now. Yeah. I can put that in the show notes. Cool. <laughs> um, and other than that, so eating whole foods, sometimes supplementing is beneficial, but it depends on the person. Sometimes mm-hmm. they need gut healing amino acids, sometimes gut healing herbs, sometimes more like mucilaginous herbs to help heal the gut lining. Sometimes there's a little bit of dysbiosis off, and so we can assist the body. Um, I usually use herbs and vitamins to address that as well, helping the body bring that back into balance. I don't buy into the idea of waging wars against anything that's in our body right Mm. it's there for a reason um we can help our body address that right like if we have a dysbiosis in our intestines whether whether it's our small intestines with SIBO or irritable bowel syndrome in our in our lower um if we have a dysbiosis if we just kill it go after killing Mm. 
right? We're not addressing what caused it in the first place, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of plays on what we're experiencing in a large scale in the world right now. Mm-hmm. If all we do is kill, 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 we create more problems. The reason behind that is, is bacteria, viruses, parasites are there to help us. Right. They show up when our tissue is diseased. Right. They're there to clean up. The bacteria, pathogenic bacteria, are literally there to clean up our diseased t- tissue. Mm-hmm. If you heal the tissue, the pathogenic bacteria don't have anything to feed on, and so they leave. Right. Uh, so sometimes part of helping the, he- the gut heal is assisting the body in addressing those imbalances and always right addressing that underlying root cause of healing that tissue then so that um, it's lasting, sustainable healing. Mm-hmm. Um, getting enough water, getting enough sleep, moving is really important for the digestive system. So we can move. It's crazy the, the amount of lymph that's located in our in our digestive system, specifically in the greater omentum. This sort of that flap that lines over our organs, right under our abdominal muscles. Um, and so all of those foundations are of health are really important to optimize gut healing. But I'd say the biggest thing with gut is getting out the Carol food intolerance. Oh, that's, that's fantastic uh, advice. I don't think we can talk about gut health without just quickly mentioning probiotics. What are your yeah. views on probiotics? Yeah. Um, yes and no. <laughs> yeah. Um, sometimes it's really helpful. Sometimes it's really not. Um, more so what I've been interested in, in looking into is so oftentimes probiotics need to be continually taken to, for them to be beneficial. So then the question in my mind is like, okay, it's not actually repopulating the microflora of the gut. It's just basically another palliative band-aid. Like once you stop using it, it stops being effective. Mm. Claire lab, uh, or sorry, not Claire labs. Um, uh, wow. I just, they create megaspore, uh, mega, microbiome. microbiome. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> it's like the company is escaping me. Thank you. The spore biotic. Yeah. They're actually doing some research showing that through the technology that they use with the spore biotic, that they can actually get it to repopulate and that they have lasting effects after you actually stop taking the probiotic, which to me says it's actually doing more of a, making more of a lasting change. Um, and so I think that they offer the best probiotic from I what, I, what I've seen. Um, and, and then it just depends on the person. I do a sophisticated form of muscle testing called autonomic response therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Klinghart developed it. Um, and so it's really nice way for me to ask the body. Mm. Right, because in theory, my mind can think of a million different things that would help X, Y, or Z. But then I can ask their body if they want the probiotic now, or if they want to wait, or et cetera, et cetera. Um, I probably started. I probably give probiotics about half the time than I would have if I didn't do the autonomic response therapy. Really, that's interesting. And what does that therapy involve? Uh, it's basically muscle testing. So I use a signal enhancer and I'm basically looking to open up s- someone's regulation. So I'm looking for a change in signal um, through muscle testing when I introduce different things to their that circuit. Mm. And so I can, their body will tell me what supplements it wants mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. what's going to be effective. And so 
some about half the time it's it doesn't want the probiotic and i think also because right the food we eat has bacteria on it constantly Mm -hmm. right and and the more food that we eat in alignment with what our body likes the better our digestive system can work our bacteria and they're getting fed by themselves and they're procreating in there like yes probiotics are helpful but i think what are more helpful are eating the things that you're di- that are good for your digestive system yeah it's kind of like i don't know i see it i i, I don't want to dog on it too much it's super helpful but i also see it as sort of like wanting the quick fix yeah right? like oh my gut bacteria is off so i'll just take a pill to try to fix it yeah no it, it usually takes a little bit more than that it takes a little bit of lifestyle changes and changing and what you're eating and how you're operating to make a lasting change on your microflora. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we could talk for forever about <laughs> about gut health. In fact, we've talked almost solely about gut health for the entire podcast. It's so interesting. It is so interesting. And it's so nice to like have practitioners that know what they're talking about on the podcast to talk about that because you can go to Google and like, how do you even know? Like this is this is why it's so important for each person experiencing yeah. any kind of issue to really go in and seek that help. Unfortunately, naturopathic medicine is not covered here in Alberta. So that's an out-of-pocket expense. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. like that in the US. Um, it depends on the state. I'm in an insurance-based state, but I actually am all cash-based. I don't take any insurance. Yeah. Yeah. So you either pay to be sick or you pay to be healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of a firm believer in that. Well, I have some fun questions that I like to end each podcast with. If you were stranded on a desert island and could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, man. My brain goes to practicality. It's almost (laughs) like uh, probably organ meat because it has so much nutrients in it. And you can still get some protein. Yeah, probably organ meat. Organ meat. Sounds What's the gross? But... <laughs> <laughs> Do I have a culinary kitchen where I can make it more palatable? Or I guess if it's life or death, anything's great. <laughs> or or like one food, like um, Dr. Ray, who I think you follow as well on on social media. Uh-huh. Uh, he said tacos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, like tacos, sushi. Okay, now we're. What I really enjoy, yeah, probably tacos, sushi, donuts, pho. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> what is the best meal you've ever eaten? Oh, man. The hard questions. It got me thinking. It's funny because I was just having the thought the other day it does, it's not so much the food that it's not just the food that store, like, it's not just good food that my brain stores as the best meal. It's the ambiance. So mm-hmm. like, who am I with? Um, oh man, I don't know that I can pinpoint the exact meal, but it's probably gotta be from my fiance's dad, who's a chef. Um, and they always do big, everyone always gets together for dinner. It's a big deal to like sit down when dinner is ready. Um, and funny enough, the meal that's coming to mind is fish tacos that, that he made. So yeah, yeah, probably one of the meals made by Don, oh, my father-in-law. Wonderful. wonderful. Soon to be father-in-law. Yeah. What is your favorite restaurant that you've ever eaten at? Uh, sushi. 
uh, my favorite restaurant is Izumi's. It's a sushi place out here in Washington that has been there for like 65 years. They have the best service. The owner is the sushi chef at the, at the sushi bar. So if you sit at the bar, you get served by the owner who's been doing it for a very long time. It's delicious. So if anybody's in the Washington area, I highly recommend going to Izumi's, I-Z-U-M-I. Oh, nice. Yeah, I love a good sushi. <laughs> What's your favorite travel destination that you've been to? Uh, Kenya. Ooh. Yeah, hands down. I, I went and did some missionary work in Kenya. I was, I don't know if you call it missionary. We basically went and played with the kids. We were supposed to be teaching English and math. Um, I did a lot of playing. Um, that's by far my favorite place I've ever been. Uh, I actually experienced some culture shock when I returned home. Yeah. Uh, because it's just so much more humane over there. It's mm. all about people and connection and heart. And you come back over here and it's all about uh, capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite binge watch television series right now? Um, let's see. I don't, I try not to watch too much TV and, and all that rigmarole. Um, I did recently watch, um, I love superhero movies. Like I love Marvel and DC. Um, I never read comics as a kid, but I really enjoy the storylines. Um, and there was just out the, what's it called? The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah. They just did a short TV series with those characters. So I just watched that. Oh, I think other cool. than that, the only TV series that I've watched religiously all the way through was Grey's Anatomy. That's oh, you're one of those. Years ago. I yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> People who love it, like love it. When I, I don't know if I'd say I loved it. When I graduated from, from natural like med school, I like binge watched the seasons that I hadn't watched. And I was like, this is somehow therapeutic watching their inaccurate medicine <laughs> I don't know <laughs> yes yes inaccurate is definitely a good word to describe that <laughs> what is your most epic fail personal business whatever oh man I feel like I have to think about that for the thing that po- the thing that popped up in my head first was for an epic fail well, I'm trying, to, it's, I'm trying to make this brief as possible. The story of how my fiance, Joel, and I met was we were friends of friends and I knew he was into me and I knew he had a fit. He knew how to fix cars and I had a POS Honda Civic at the time and it stopped going into fifth gear and I was like, oh, I'm going to have him over to come look at my car. Um, yeah, we're engaged now. We've been <laughs> for six years. So <laughs> that was the biggest fail. We ended up selling the car, never fixed it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. But like the epic, I guess that's what came around. It's epic fail because it, it failed, but it was in an epic, in an epic, very blessed way. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. And what is the happiest moment of your life? Oh man, what do people say for that? That's hard. Let's people so talk many. about their kids if they've had kids. Yeah, I could say I don't that. have kids. <laughs> I have a fur baby. There was no birthing process. <laughs> I found them at the shelter. Um, that's a really good question. I, I think what comes up for me the most is, I think some of my happiest moments is when I've been doing 
well, both my own holistic counseling sessions, like where I'm the patient and the self-discovery that I've found is, is really like an ecstasy. Mm. Um, and then that just gets multiplied when I get to then have like share that with, with my patients and clients. Cause the whole physician heal yourself, the f- I've noticed the further I can get with my healing, the further my patients get. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think that those, that's, that's what pops up in my mind right now is some of the happiest moments of my life. It's breaking through some of those barriers yeah. and helping people do the same. Sounds like you're in the right profession. <laughs> <laughs> and what advice would you like to leave our listeners with in regard to health? Um, to love yourself, to love yourself and 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 love yourself and to look to other people to realize what that means and to understand what tough love is and to understand what compassion is. And I think that at the core, we're not even able to shift and change those limiting beliefs about ourselves if we don't love ourselves. Mm -hmm. That love pushes us to take action and also allows us to have the compassion to see the faults we've made and to move forward from them. Mm, That's wonderful. And where can people find you? Yeah. Um, so I'm definitely on Instagram, as you know, um, it's at Dr. Tori, D-R-T-O-R-R-I-E. And then that's also my website, drtori.com. Um, and then for those interested in applying to my practice, it's drtori.com forward slash apply. Um, and then for those interested in any more information about what I've talked about, have lots of stuff on Instagram, but also you can go to know the cause, like K-N-O-W, the cause It'll be taking you, it'll take you through to a point where you put in your email and then you'll send a PDF that explains why, why do people get sick? Why am I sick? Mm-hmm. And it breaks down some of the stuff that we talked about today. Oh, that's wonderful. That's a wonderful resource. Well, thank you so much for coming so on the welcome. show. Um, we didn't even get to everything that I wanted to talk about. Thanks, but, uh, this is fun. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to do a part two. I would be honored. All right. Well, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much for tuning into today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed our discussion and gained better insight into how you can be the healthiest version of yourself that you can be. Don't forget to subscribe to my channel on iTunes and please leave me a review so we can get this message of better health out there. Have a great day and remember, you are powerful over your health.